Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome again to another program of Exploring Bible Prophecy. We're going to pick up in point number three on our handout. And, of course, that handout is graciously provided by this radio station, whcbradio.org. And you'll find it with the title, What Are the Differences Between the Rapture of the Church and the Second Coming of Christ? And uh, for those that have been with us, you know that we're moving down through the, the different points of Jesus coming back for his church and taking us to heaven and then coming back to the earth at a period of time later after the tribulation to judge the earth. And we are in point number three on the handout. And, of course, the benefit to the handout is that every scripture verse that I use is listed there and is related to a particular point um, in building our case to show the differences between these two very significant but very different events. So in point number three, we're under the uh, second coming column on the right-hand side, and we're going to start fresh there in that uh, point number three where it says, Jesus comes with his church, his bride, from heaven, and this is immediately after the tribulation, and he comes, the point we want to build on now in point three is he's coming to judge the world. So in in the prior two uh, points, we've uh, discovered a number of Bible passages to show us uh, the facts of Jesus coming, in this particular case, coming back to the earth, that he's coming back with his church. We've talked in detail about who the church is and differentiated that from other groups such as Old Testament saints and from Israel and that he is coming back immediately after the tribulation. We made that point in number two. And in point number three, we're showing that he's coming back with a specific intent of judging the world, and we are coming back with him in order to uh, participate in that. So let's, uh, let's start, and let's go to the second to the last book of the Bible, and that is the um, book of Jude, which is comprised of one chapter. So when you see Jude 14 and 15, that's not chapters 14 and 15. That's simply verses 14 and 15. So I pray that you have your Bible with you, or at some point in time, uh, if you hear this uh, when you're not in your car or in some place uh, where you, uh, it's not safe to look at your Bible, I certainly understand that. But I do pray that when you are in a place where you are um, not distracted, that you would have your Bible, because as we go through this series and we go through all of our series here at Exploring Bible Prophecy, our intent is to use uh, a rich, rich number of verses uh, from books uh, throughout the, uh, the Bible, from all 66 books, and that we not be satisfied with just one scripture verse to... Um, to give us truths of the Bible, that the Bible 
one of the wonderful, one of the many wonderful things about the the Holy Bible is that it confirms itself. So that if you have a question about a passage, take the time, research, and let the Bible explain the Bible to you, because it's not just a written document. Uh, although it's a precious written document, it's not just the document, but it's the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, and recall from, oh, I guess it was two episodes ago, and we talked about the Holy Spirit of God. No one knows God better than his own Holy Spirit. And what's so wonderful is that the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Father, through Jesus, gives you his Spirit so that you can know the mind of Christ, that you can, and what that means is that the scriptures become alive and that God is speaking directly to you. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of of God in you, then this is just a document. This might as well be the works of Shakespeare uh, in most circumstances. But when you have the Holy Spirit residing within you as the church does, as the fulfillment of a promise from God, that he will reveal things that you have never known before, things that mankind would say are unsearchable. You can know them. You can know the mysteries. In fact, when Paul talks about the mysteries, those are mysteries to those who do not know Jesus, therefore do not have his Holy Spirit. But to us, these mysteries are made known. And remember, uh, Isaiah 46.10 I know it's not in our handout, but it just it comes to my mind to make a point. He says in Isaiah 46.10, God says, I tell you the end of all things from the beginning. In other words, God wants you to know him, and as you learn about him and come to know him in an intimate way, then you know his character. And therefore, when you read a passage of Scripture that makes a statement about uh, punishment or about rewards and whatnot, you can understand in a more full, uh, deeper way that, yes, that is a reflection of God's character, or you may read from a man's writings where they have said, no, that's not really what God meant. He meant this. Well, you will know uh, through the Holy Spirit and knowing the character of God whether or not that's a true statement or not. So that's what's called biblical discernment. So as we go through this series, this this program, this series, and all the series that we have in exploring Bible prophecy that just know that the Holy Spirit wants nothing more than to be allowed. You have to allow him to be allowed to lead you into an understanding of all Scripture. I mean, how wonderful is that? So let's go back to uh, our particular point here, number three, under the second coming, and let's look at that first passage there, and that's Jude And uh, hopefully by now you've turned to the one-chapter book of Jude, and we're looking at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 reads, It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. So there's that holy one again, the elect that we've talked about in Matthew 24. Uh, the elect that we've talked about in other places. This particular case, he's obviously talking about those that are coming from heaven, and we know, therefore, that we're talking about the church. 
because we are we know, and while we have not talked about it in this series, we have in others that all of the promises that that uh, Jesus makes to the church are fulfilled in heaven, and all the promises that God makes to Israel are fulfilled on the earth. So whenever we're talking about anything coming from heaven, uh, such as the church, we know that that's not talking about Israel. And when it's talking about setting up a kingdom on the earth, we know that he's talking about Israel. So again, back to the scripture. Um, At the end of 14, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones, verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So uh, I think it's very interesting the number of times, at least in the English that we have here, that the term all, is it's, it's used in an emphatic way that he's coming to execute judgment on all the people on the earth that have done ungodly things and that have spoken against God. But the key thing is it shows that uh, for the purposes of our study here in this series to show that we are coming back with him, the many thousands of his holy ones. And that, again, is a reference to the church as he comes back to judge now, I want to do something that you rarely, uh, you rarely uh, hear people mention, and that is uh, a passage in Deuteronomy, all the way back in Deuteronomy. So what is that? That's uh, 3,400 3, years ago, 1,400 years before Christ walked the earth in his first coming. Moses, when he came out of the wilderness, or came to the end of the wilderness, I should say, he died in the wilderness. He wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, or as the Jews call it, the Torah. But the, the last of those books is Deuteronomy, and right towards the end of Deuteronomy. So really, the, one of the last few things that um, Moses wrote, in fact, there's only one more chapter, and that's in Deuteronomy 33. And in Deuteronomy 33... For context, let's look at verse 1. It says, Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. He said, and this is a long-range prophecy that he's giving them here, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. And he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand, there was a, a flash, a flashing lightning for them. So the point I want to make here is you see that he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. And if you recall, we read in Jude, which again was over 1,400 years later, Jude says the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. And, of course, you have to appreciate, you might think, oh, my goodness, the church is only going to number in the 10,000s. Well, you have to appreciate that the time these were written, there weren't billions of people on the earth, and even the term millions wasn't used that much. So you, the terminology used at the time was 
thousands upon thousands, or if he says 200 million, he says, I heard that number, because there really weren't 200 million people on the earth when that term was used by John the Revelator in Revelation. But it says all the way back here with Moses that he saw into the future to the um, second coming of Christ that he would come back with thousands, in this case, ten thousands of his holy ones. And more specifically than that even, I want you to look at the beginning of of verse 2, and it says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir and and came forth from Mount Paran. The Sinai, and more specifically Seir, Seir is another name for Edom, which is below the Dead Sea, geographically uh, relative to Israel, on the Jordanian, modern-day Jordan, Saudi Arabian side. But that's where the people of Edom, and of course the people from Edom came from Esau, Jacob's brother, and that Mount Parham is in the Sinai Desert. Sinai is obviously in that area. So he's coming from the south, and he's appearing in the midst of 10,000 of his holy ones. Now, given that passage, given what we read in, in Jude as well, let's go to um, Isaiah, and let's go to chapter 63. So hopefully by now you've gotten a little familiar with Isaiah during this, this series. It's a book we go to a whole lot for Bible prophecy. Isaiah 63, and let's read the first um, six verses, and you see that in, in your handout. Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, who is this who comes from Edom, so Mount Seir, with garments of glowing colors from Basra? And just to step away a moment, Basra is a city, it doesn't exist there today, but it was an ancient city in the time of the Old Testament down in the area of Edom, or Mount Seir. Back to the scripture in verse 1, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And verse 2, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? Verse 3, I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm, I brought sal- my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their life blood on the earth. So. You see the parallels between Jude and the New Testament. He's coming to judge the earth in his wrath. He's coming with ten thousands of his holy ones. Then we go all the way back into the Old, Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses is even prophesying to the twelve tribes that Jesus would come back to the land of Israel 
to judge the world. And then we fast forward, and of course, in 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 Deuteronomy 33, again, he's talking about with ten thousands of his holy ones. And then in Isaiah 63, we see the same imagery of this son of man coming to judge and coming from Edom, coming from Basra. These are all in the southern part of uh, the geography of the Middle East that would be uh, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and then over to the west, Israel today. And that he's coming uh, to tread the winepress of his wrath. So a clear uh, description in in several different uh, aspects of Jesus coming back to um, execute judgment on the earth. And the interesting thing is, he hasn't stepped, he hasn't set foot down anywhere yet. He will do that in Jerusalem on the um, Mount of Olives, but he comes down in the air and starts executing his judgment in the southern part of Israel. And there's an explanation for that that we'll get into uh, at another point um, in this um, series, but a lot of detail that would need to be unpacked to explain that. But there's a reason why he does that before he comes to Jerusalem to stand on the Mount of Olives. So you can see that he's coming to judge. We're coming back with him. And it's going to be a very, very difficult and um, very unfortunate time for anyone who's living on the earth. So let's uh, let's move uh, in our uh, point number three to Joel, which is another one of those um, minor prophets. And they're minor only in the sense that they're small books. They're powerful prophets. But their writings are, uh, in most cases, very short. So they're called the minor prophets prophets simply for that reason. And if you um, find Daniel, where we've been to in the very recent uh, past uh, programs, you'll find Daniel, and then right to the right of Daniel is Hosea, and then Joel. Hosea, then Joel. And let's go to Joel chapter 2, Joel, excuse me, Joel chapter 3, verse 2 in your handout. Joel chapter 3, verse 2. And again, we're talking in point number 3 about Jesus and the church coming back to judge. So in Joel chapter 3, verse 2, it says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. So he tells you, um, God tells you in Joel chapter 3. So this is Joel writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God, that he's saying that I'm going to judge the world on two points. The fact that they have scattered my people, my inheritance, Israel, among the nations, and that they have divided up my land. Very, very interesting. So let's go to Joel chapter 3, verse 12, uh, for the other point here and a point of um, further explanation. In verse 12, it says, Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge 
all the surrounding nations. So we know from Joel uh, 3, verse 2 and 3, that he is going to, or Joel chapter 2, that he's going to judge all the nations when he comes back, and he's going to judge them for how they scattered his people, how they treated his people, and how they divided up the land of his people, which is Israel. And he's going to bring them into some place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, uh, if you've got a footnoted Bible, your Bible might very well say that it, um, it uh, Jehoshaphat means that Yahweh, or God, judges. And there is uh, some good reasoning to point out that the Valley of Jehoshaphat would actually be what's called the Kidron Valley. And the Kidron Valley is a valley that runs through Jerusalem and actually divides the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. And, of course, those are two uh, extremely significant locations in the Bible and in Jerusalem, the Mount of uh, Olives and the Temple Mount, and that this would be the valley that runs all the way um, pretty much from the Jezreel Valley where Armageddon would begin and all the way down to the uh, Dead Sea, so quite a long valley. And it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Decision, and this is where Jesus will sit to, uh, to judge all the nations. Okay. Let's go ahead and look at a question that a listener has sent in to us here. And this uh, question is from Gene in Kingsport. And the question is, did the prophets in the Old Testament know about the church of God? Great question, Gene. Uh, Paul tells us in a number of passages that the church that Jesus would begin to build, he actually would begin to build it in the New Testament age, was not known in the past ages. And the way to start this is to go to Matthew 16, if you will. Matthew 16, and in Matthew 16, verse 18, uh, this is where uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter has just made this wonderful wonderful profession of faith that Jesus the Christ is indeed the son of the living God. And in verse 18, he says, I will say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So he says, I will build my church. And he says that in Matthew 16. And then there are a number of passages uh, where Paul says that the fact that the, the the fact of the church was a mystery in the Old Testament. So let's um, let's look at first of all Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter three for a little bit of background to help answer Gene's question. Did the Old Testament saints know about the church? And Ephesians chapter three, and in verses uh, starting at verse one. It says, for this reason, Ephesians 3.1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which, I was, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, 
as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the point here is that he's saying that the mystery, which is the church, which is made up of Jew and Gentile, uh, was not known in prior ages, but has now been made known through what he referred to as the promise. And if you look in Acts chapter 13, so back to the left in your book, um, Galatians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Romans, going backwards to Acts 13, Acts chapter 13, and it says in verse 32, talking about the promise that we just read in Ephesians, verse 32 in Acts 13, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the point is that Jesus would start the church as part of his plan after he left the earth, after his death, burial, and glorious resurrection, that the church would be started at Pentecost, that Jesus need to come to the earth first for this to happen. That was the promise we just read in Acts chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. And then one more, uh, one more verse here in Galatians chapter 3. So Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 3, looking at verse uh, 22... 22, and read to the end of the chapter, but before faith, excuse me, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So you can see that it all was about a promise of Jesus and that Jesus would bring the church. So, Gene, to answer your question, the prophets in the Old Testament did not know about the church of God. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.